0: previously on popping collars
1: and i i I think one of the things that i thought was interesting and people um talking about um how he preached and some some you know some negative things he didn't mention jesus he didn't do this he didn't do that i loved it um and i was very upset when the pbs announcer said oh his talk was almost like a sermon
2: and i was like have you been to church
1: (laughs) 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 it's almost like a sermon okay Welcome to Popping Collars, the podcast that lives at the intersection of religion and pop culture. My name is Ricardo Avila. I am the rector at St. Luke's Episcopal Church in Los Gatos, California. With me today is my co-host, Greg Knight. Greg, what are you up to these days?
0: Uh, Hi, Ricardo. I am the director of children and youth ministries at the Church of Bethesda-by-the-Sea in Palm Beach, Florida. And what that means when you're doing children and youth work heading into the summer, is that you are getting ready for mission trips. And that's what I'm doing, getting ready for mission trips.
1: Also with us is my co-host, Betsy Gonzalez. Betsy, where are you and what is going on in your world?
3: Oh Ricardo, I'm here in water-soaked Alexandria, Virginia, where I'm the head chaplain at the Episcopal High School.
1: Today, we also have a special guest, a first timer to the Popping Collars universe, Xu Ying Wong. Xu Ying, tell us who you are. What are you up to?
2: I'm Xu Ying Wong, and I live in San Francisco, California. And I was just remarking with Betsy that I too am in need of a hoodie because it has been very cold today. <laughs> uh, you, Ricardo, are da- down in the peninsula, so it's nice and sunny where you are. I'm the priest and rector of a church, actually, in the peninsula, uh, St. Thomas Episcopal Church in Denver. I mean, Denver? Sunnyvale.
1: (laughs) I was thinking about Denver, sorry. This is episode 84 of Popping Collars, and uh, I believe today's topic can officially be called an annual tradition. It is our Summer Book Club episode. Yay! We've done it two other times. Yeah, Book Club! When you were a kid and summertime hit, the next three months were all about playing outside with your friends, going to the movies, and taking family trips in your wood-paneled station wagon. <laughs> I realize I'm dating myself with that <laughs> intro. But for some of us, summer also meant parking ourselves on the comfiest chair in our air-conditioned neighborhood library and reading the days away. The surroundings may have changed and you're now on a lawn chair at the beach or on a bed with your Kindle, but the magic of summer reading remains. Much like previous summer book club episodes, each of us has three books to recommend. So we will do a round table or round robin discussion with each of us taking a turn and revealing first our bronze medal choices, then our silvers, and then our golds. And so by the end of this episode, you will have a dozen new books to check out on your own. Uh, Greg, how about you? Why don't All you go right. first? What, what is your bronze pick?
0: One of the things that I also feel pressure to do is to have some kind of theme. Running through my picks like and not go sort of scattershot all over. So my theme for this year is movies and books about movies, Um, because that's kind of where my head has been lately is in this. How do people make things and how do people create things and how do you get armies of folks working together to create art? So, my first pick is a book that answers that question directly. It is a book called Talking Pictures by former guest of the show, Ann Hornaday.
3: Mm. Ah. Yay, Ann, friend of the pod. Yeah, that's
0: right, friend of our little podcast here. Um, She is the uh, chief uh, film critic for the Washington Post, and she joined us for a conversation last season, I think. I think it was last season um, about film criticism and how it relates to our little church world. And anyway, she wrote this really great sort of deconstruction of the movie making process in talking pictures. And what she does is uh, each chapter goes through what it takes to sort of make a movie. Um, So she starts with the script and writing and how the script works. And then it goes on to like the casting of actors and moves on to the choice of director and sort of stuff like that. One of the things that can happen in ministry, especially in parish ministry, is that when you're in an area like I am, which is children and youth ministries, you can be so focused on your area that you lose sight of what everybody else is doing, right? You're part of the whole thing, but you're only just kind of a part of it. Sometimes it's hard to see how it's integrated into the whole Because you tend to be siloed into youth rooms and onto Sunday school halls and stuff like that. And so what I really like about this book is that it takes that sort of broader view um, and how those things come together and make beautiful expressions that we see um, on the screen. And sometimes, you know, beautiful messes that we see on the screen, the last (laughs) Avengers movie and stuff.
1: I used to wonder how on earth a director can make a movie. There's so much involved, right? And the thing is, it's a whole team. It's hundreds of people when you see those credits roll.
2: You know, uh, my best friend, uh, Heather Donnell. I don't know. Have you met her, Ricardo? I don't know. I don't
1: think so, yeah.
2: Well, she's my best friend, and she's a filmmaker. Being director, I think it is like being a priest at sometimes because you have to, like, you want some an actor to correct their work, but you have to do it in a way that doesn't completely deflate them. Right, you know? <laughs> yeah. and,
1: and thank you for pointing out the fact that the word rector is in the, the word director. There yes. we are.
0: The That's Director. Die Rector. Don't <laughs> say di-rector. Yeah. Dude, that. Rector.
3: Yeah, that starts to get really troubling.
0: That's the too, movie we can make. Don't you guys. too big of a pause in between. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Betsy, what is your bronze medal?
3: My role typically in book club episodes is the fact that I am a big audiobook fan.
1: The book that kind
3: of kept popping up and people kept recommending, and I kept kind of choosing other things was uh, Celeste Ng's book, Little Fires Everywhere. That's one of the best novels of 2017. Celeste grew up in Shaker Heights, which is where this is in Ohio, which is where this book is set, like kind of one of those very planned suburbs. It's uh, kind of 1990s based, which you know hits a cultural tone for me. I also enjoy it when books kind of pull on the culture of a time that isn't too far away from where we are sometimes. And then but then also moves through time. So this book moves through time and it talks about very interesting artists and a single mom moves into this town and starts renting from this family, a family that kind of has a lot of facade going on.
0: So is um, this like a coming of age story, Betsy? Um,
3: yeah. And so you end up kind of moving through time. So you'll have kind of the coming of age stories of two characters who are now adults in the current time of the book. Oh, okay. You go back to them, and then you come here, and then they now have teenage daughters. And maybe some of it is I also work with teenagers That's mm-hmm. in that position, but um, that, uh, that kind of mother daughter kind of experience.
1: Thank you, Betsy. That is actually, I listen to a lot of audiobooks as well, and that is um, in my queue at this point. Oh, yes. Why oh, can't wait. We will, we will turn to our special guest star, Xu Ying. Okay. Xu Ying, what is your bronze medal choice for today?
2: Well, you know, speaking of themes, uh, I I do realize that I have a certain theme. The season after Pentecost, maybe. And of course, I mean, this book that I've chosen is called The Kingdom of Ordinary Time. Mm -hmm. And it's a book of poetry Mm -hmm. by Marie Howe. So uh, Marie, H-O-W-E, how? Have you ever heard of her? No. No. Uh, She is the Poet Laureate of uh, New York. She's fascinating because she kind of ended up in poetry, not on purpose, but, you know, started writing. And then was uh, really embarrassed when she when someone said, there's a spiritual aspect to your poems. <laughs> and she you know, saw of herself as an elevated atheist, right? Too smart for all that jazz. She became a Roman Catholic. And it's just fascinating to watch her journey. But this book of poetry is called The Kingdom of Ordinary Time. I, I think I'll just read uh, from the book so you can get a sense of what her poetry feels like. Jesus must have been a saint, I said to myself looking for my lost car in the parking lot later, stumbling among the people who would have been lowered into rooms by ropes, who would have crept out of caves or crawled from the corners of public baths on their hands and knees, begging for mercy. If I touch only the hem of his garment, one woman thought, I would be healed. Could I bear the look on his face when he wheels around?
1: Hmm. The, wow. The
2: Star Market Ooh. by Marie Howe, The Kingdom of Ordinary Time.
1: Thank you, Xu Ying. You have just single handedly elevated this podcast. So good. <laughs> <laughs> Poetry. Oh my God. I'll bring it back down a few notches. Yeah, right, no.
3: yeah. Ricardo, this is, yeah, you got to, yeah. That's my
1: bar. No, actually, my bronze pick, I think, is fantastic. It's a young adult novel that I heard on audiobook amazingly read by a woman named Bonnie Turpin Mm. and it's called the hate you give it's a young adult novel that came out last year by Angie Thomas Uh, I believe it's her debut novel it was well as the cover of it says stunning (laughs) by uh, said (laughs) John Green who wrote (laughs) the fault in our stars it's so good it's it's a lot of things all at once and it does all of them well So it's about an African-American teenage girl named Star Carter. She lives in a harsh neighborhood. The kind of the the plot point that happens is she's in a car in the passenger seat with her best childhood friend, and he gets stopped by the cops and shot and killed. Mm. And so uh, there's all this fallout. And at the same time, she's living in um, Garden Heights, which is kind of the harsh, hard neighborhood but her parents bus her and her two brothers to a different neighborhood where the school is really nice and all of her friends are white or non-black for the most part. And how she has to behave a certain way when she goes to the high school. And then she comes back and she gets teased for being white in at her, at her home neighborhood. The hate you give is, uh, is, is the first part of the phrase that I think that Tupac Shakir, as she mentions in, in the book, uh, talked about thug life. I guess it was tattooed on his belly. Mm-hmm. Thug Life stands for, is an acronym for the hate you give little infants F's everybody. How you treat these children and how little affection or attention or how you neglect them comes back to haunt the whole society.
3: We continue the synergy, though. That is on my Audible wish list. What? Yes. I have listened to the sample of that book. It has come up in my feed. So I can
2: actually see that book from where I'm sitting on my (laughs) bookshop.
1: Thank you guys. Okay. Let's move on to our silver round, our silver round. Greg, what was your number two pick
0: for this year? Number two, again, book about movies. This is a book called movies are prayers by Josh Larson, who is one of the hosts of the film spotting podcast. Josh uh, has this new book out. It's called Movies Are Prayers. And in it, um, what he does is he goes through and he um, breaks down different ways of praying. So he um, talks about prayer as as confession and praying as reconciliation and praying as yearning and praying mm-hmm. as lament and, um, and all of these different sort of things. And he uses lessons uh, from movies to help uh, bring out sort of aspects or how those conversations with God kind of play out. It's a really cool book. I just read through the reconciliation chapter today, and it was all about do the right thing Mm -hmm. and how, how a movie that could have ended in a very sort of violent and hopeless place can end in a, in a, in still an ambiguous place, but a place of reconciliation. When Mookie comes back and says to Sal, like, give me my money. <laughs> and they have they have a bit of a they have a bit of a reconciliation there um before the close of the movie. And then Sam Jackson comes on and says the word of the day is chill.
1: What is your Betsy? What is your what is your silver medal choice today?
3: All right. So my silver medal choice comes from my true crime obsession. I oh. love of podcasts like My Favorite Murder and Last Podcast on the Left and all of that. I went kind of back into the vault for a book that a lot of true crime enthusiasts recommend as a book to check out. And so it's The Stranger Beside Me, the shockingly true story of serial killer Ted Bundy. Ooh. Ted Bundy is one of those characters, you know, the sociology part of me is always curious about how people are made. I don't believe people are are made to be bad or made to do bad things. And it comes from someplace. And that, that part of me that tries to find that empathy place. And uh, this is written by Ann Rule, who is a legendary true crime writer who I believe died maybe three years ago. And she knew Ted Bundy because they lived in, uh, in the Seattle area. At the same time, they worked at a, and a nine one one like hotline, you know, for people who to call who were in trouble, and they would, you know, like a suicide prevention thing. And so he was kind of this young guy in his twenties, and she's this mom of three or four at the time who was on her way to getting divorced, and and uh, he was kind of this younger brother. Lorelai King does the narration. It is an eighteen hour and thirty one <gasps> minute on I'm trying to think if I've ever been in a position where I've so misjudged someone and just kind of when we can be be blinded by our own story that we've kind of told about a person
0: or what we want to believe. I always wonder about the people who are interviewed on the local news, like whenever something bad happens, it's like. Well, I just never thought that they were never capable of blah, 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 blah. Just
3: the so, nicest guy.
0: Yes, yeah, the reality that you create for yourself. Right?
3: right. As opposed to, yeah, they were really kind of weird and creepy and a loner. And I mean, you get kind of one or the other.
2: Okay. So uh, my uh, my silver pick is a book by Willie Jennings. The book is called The Christian Imagination and the Origins of Race. Uh, He's a professor of theology, and I didn't even know there was such an award as Theologian of the Year. What?
3: (laughs) Where is that award show? What does that red carpet look like, everybody? we just imagine, you know, turn this way, uh, over here.
0: It looked, like the, it looked like the Met Gala, right? Like it that looked was just great. like
2: the Met Gala. Yeah, I, uh, I think he won that award in 2015, uh, Theologian of the Year. I want to just be very clear from the beginning. It's a very difficult book. Mm-hmm. Uh, hmm. It's difficult uh, because the language is difficult, and it's difficult because the concepts are difficult, and it's difficult because it deals with a very difficult topic. The construction wow. of race in the context of medieval soteriology and oh slave god trade. Oh,
0: no. <laughs> oh no soteriology oh god <laughs> Betsy, oh. Betsy's flashing back to seminary oh
2: yeah oh. <laughs> right, right. Marion Gray really? I see you I and I see it's not you. just any kind of soteriology it's medieval soteriology
1: right and the okay.
2: slave trade. But this book is incredibly relevant, uh although you know you have to get through it I don't <laughs> <get the relevance, laughs> want right? it because I think the conversations around race are uh, highly emotive today, and uh with very little understanding of how this system came about uh how it operates and I love his. Uh, wording the Christian imagination. It took me a while to figure out what he was talking about. Uh, The Christian imagination, instead of calling it Christian theology of race or Christian uh, philosophy, Mm -hmm. I like that word imagination because what he's doing is giving a lot of credence to the way we imagine the reality and then create the reality. I know we don't always want to read something difficult. I know your uh, intro, Ricardo, was about lounging in a comfortable chair. <laughs> uh, it sounds this, like a
3: major beach read, right? Yeah, this, <laughs> this is
2: not that kind of book. You should be sitting up and taking notes. <laughs> but the gains of reading this book, I think, right. can cause a revolution in yourself. I think, and a revolution in Ministry,
1: thank you, Sue Ying. Man, Xu Ying, I don't think we can have you on the show anymore. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah,
3: Ricardo, you're you're an idiot. I know. Jared, you're out.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's we, a, we a a new a correspondent
3: here. on Pop and
1: Collars. There's like another <laughs> level great. of podcast that's looking for you, Su Ying. No, <laughs> seriously though, that's terrific because even though it might not be a summer read. People need to know. You know, it's good that I'd never heard of this book. By the way, I have no theme for my book picks, so nice. my silver pick is vastly different. It's called *Life After Life* by Kate Atkinson. It's hard to explain, so I love it because the writing is so good and vivid. She's amazing, and again, the audiobook is terrific too. *Life After Life* is about a woman in England growing up in the 20th century, and she dies. It's like Groundhog Day a little bit. So she dies in infancy at the beginning of the book because there's a storm and the midwife doesn't make it. Then the next chapter, it all starts again, and she grows a little a little older as a kid, and then she falls out a window and she dies. And then it keeps going. And you never learn why this is happening, but it's fascinating because the very beginning of the book st- starts out with her as an adult, and she's at a table with Adolf Hitler, and she pulls a gun and is about to shoot him. So you're like, hmm. "How's that happen?" <laughs> <laughs> she gains a sort of intuition in each new iteration of her life from what went before, so she'll avoid that path where the child molester was, and mm-hmm. um, and and save her neighbor who got killed by the same guy uh, mm-hmm. without knowing why, right? And it's it's a, it's it can be a little frustrating because you want answers but the writing is so vivid and the reading of it in the audiobook is so good. It's like true history but like sci-fi'd up. The novel Life After Life I think is fantastic, a little frustrating, I think will stay with you. It stayed with me for years after I first heard it. Okay. That
3: has okay. also come up on my audiobook thing. So basically, Ricardo, I think we're You're a forty three year old woman, on <laughs> or I am, or I'm, or I am a fifty
1: one year old gay Latino, fifty one year old <laughs>
3: Hispanic gay man. I think that it's one way or the other. It's with something maybe in the middle. We will meet in the middle.
1: You guys, so we are on our final round, our gold medal round. <sighs> it's gonna oh. be Everybody's nervous. Greg, um, your number uh, one. Greg,
3: pick? Uh, something. <laughs> hold on, it's coming to me. It's about movies.
0: It it is kind of about movies, but I do want to. I have a solid streak going on this show, and I'm going to keep it alive. I I recommend a graphic novel for my number one nice. every single time, because if I am going to read a book, it should have pictures. <laughs> <laughs> my uh, my book is called Tale of Sand. It is a script that was written by Jim Henson and Jerry Jewel. Um, between the years of 1967 and 1975, they worked on this draft and it, uh, went through three iterations before it hit like a final draft, but it was never created. Um, because by the mid seventies, Jim Henson had gotten into his Muppet projects and, um, started Sesame street and stuff like that. This was the only finished script that Jim Henson ever wrote that was never filmed. It was dusted off uh, from the Henson estate and uh, illustrated by a tremendous graphic artist, uh, Ramon Perez, who um, I mean, this book is gorgeous to look at and it's really told through the images because there's, there's virtually no dialogue. And if you've ever seen a Henson film, um, so think to yourself like dark crystal and labyrinth and stuff like that. It's really bizarre. Like his, his stuff is really sort of surreal and bizarre and absurd. And this may be one of the more surreal things I've ever seen or read. I, I can't necessarily even tell you what this book is about. It's not linear and it's, complete chaos in some moments, but it is enthralling to look at. And I keep finding myself coming back to it over and over again and trying to find an image that makes sense. I like stories that aren't easy to understand where someone is trying to communicate feelings and thoughts, but they don't necessarily add up to anything anything that you can make sense of unless you kind of dig through it and parse through it. And Tale of Sand is something that you're going to have to parse through several times in order to find whatever it is that Henson and Jewel are trying to get at. Betsy, what is your gold medal winner
1: this year?
3: Okay. So it's called the female persuasion by Meg Wallitzer. Mm -hmm. There is some moving around through time for the characters, right? You're dealing with, you're dealing with generation gap of, of, An older person, parental age, and then kind of these young adults. And following this woman, Greer Kadetsky, and who's this starting her freshman year, this is not where she wants to be. She wants to be at Yale with Professor Jennings, taking classes on (laughs) the Christian imagination. But instead, she's she's at this fictional school that has given her a ton of money because her parents can't get it together and they didn't fill out the financial aid paperwork correctly. Right. She's an incredibly brilliant person. And so you meet through her, her kind of high school boyfriend who they're still dating. He's at Princeton though. And this moment of interaction that she has with an older person and this little seed plant with this person I was to kind of find her back in this woman's orbit later on. And, and then you're in current time, but then you also bounce back to Faith Frank's life when she graduated from college and went to go be a waitress in Las Vegas. And, you know, kind of those sort of, like, it's like Gloria Steinle going and working for the Playboy Club, you know, like that kind of thing. It's just an interesting take on feminism and, and the motives behind improving women and when those motives succeed, when they fall short. Thank you, Betsy. Is
1: it So generational stuff going on, I, I, it sounds like, yeah. right?
3: Yeah, I mean, is this what happens when you're a 43-year-old woman? I mean, you can tell me, Roberto, you know. Um,
1: <laughs> let me tell you, Betsy.
3: Let me tell you. I'm really looking for some, you know, generational influences and some cross-generational mm. stuff. So, I don't know, maybe.
1: Right. But that comes up in the book, though, right? Isn't it like the younger and the older feminisms? Yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. yeah. Wow. It's
2: it's really interesting.
1: Front waves. So, yeah. Okay, Xu yeah. Ying. Class right. it up once more. Okay. All metal. <laughs>
2: uh, I think I'm actually going to recommend uh, The High Divide. Have you, any of you read this book? No. The High Divide by Lynn Enger. Uh, unlike the uh, last book I recommended, this is a very readable <laughs> novel. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it is the one you would sit in a comfy chair uh, and you would just walk into this book as uh, an alternate reality for a few hours at a time. It is uh, very delicious to read. Uh, it's set in 1886, and I don't want to give it away. It's, there's a man who is um, going, through, going to be bankrupt. He needs to find work, but instead he is haunted by a thing in the past, and this, uh, this thing that he perpetrated, uh, he needs to find redemption. Uh, and in order to do so, he must abandon his family the book is essentially written in two scenes, what he's doing and what the family is doing to cope with his absence. Uh, season after Pentecost, I think that's also a time to work on the nitty gritty of forgiveness. Okay. But uh, we often talk about forgiveness as uh, something we want to be able to do for another person. Right. Uh, but uh, how many of us stand in a position where we really need
1: to be forgiven. Thank you, Siu Ying. That's a great, and you're right, I've never heard of that book and it sounds really interesting. My gold uh, medal winner, I'm staying true to form. I'm going way back to the 19th century. My number one pick is David Copperfield by Charles Dickens.
3: Ooh, so of
1: course. <laughs> not I know, I know. a
3: surprise.
1: And popping collars <laughs> listeners, it was the pop phenomenon of its day. Charles Dickens was major. There were people standing around on the streets waiting for the latest edition of his serialized monthly book to come out. And they would snap it up and they'd read it to each other on the streets and they'd hawk it and they'd share it and it sold out. I mean, how much more pop culture can you get? And you may or may not know the story, but it's about basically a little boy who becomes an orphan and how he grows up and all the characters he meets. The, 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 I think my favorite thing about this novel is the unbelievable richness of characters. And I don't want to say that as a cliched thing. I mean, the way he writes people, my two favorite characters are Rosa Dartle, this woman who's had a a slash across her face and it's a a tragic story, but it's made her angry and enraged at the world. And some of the things she does are intense and her speeches are like, you could have those speeches now. And you, your, 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 your toes would curl some of the nasty stuff she says, because she's been hurt in her life. And the other favorite character is a minor character named Miss Moucher. Oh, yeah. she 's very short and um, she weaves in and out of the book she 's always kind of overacting and saying these outrageous things and etc and late in the book, you realize it's all an act that she 's actually profoundly lonely and all of that is just a way to get people to be okay with her and to like her. But she's secretly lonely and wants love and is enraged and, you know, and all of And she becomes a hero in the end as well. But there are tons of different characters as Betsy Trotwood, Mr. Murdstone, Micawber, Uriah Heep, Agnes, Mr. Wickfield, and they're all fully formed and enfleshed. And they weave in through this 800 page novel. If you read nothing else from the 19th century, Not that this is the best book of the 19th century, but I think it's probably my favorite. uh, Read David Copperfield. For you, shuffling the juice. Easy work, massaging the truth. Life can be sweet.
0: All of that has got it going. Cayman Islands work a treat. Moss at like Psycho was mostly obscure.
1: Folks, you can find Popping Collars on the web at PoppingCollarsPodcast.com. You can also find us on all these social media platforms like Facebook, Twitter, and just about anywhere else that is mining your privacy for data these days. <laughs> <laughs> just type in popping collars in the search bar and you're good to go. And they will know you like us. <laughs> and, of course, you can get our podcast at all of the usual podcasting apps like Stitcher, SoundCloud, Apple Apple Podcasts, etc. Yeah. Remember, you can show your support for our show by purchasing one of our fabulous T-shirts in purple, green, blue, gray, white. Fabulous yeah. T-shirts. Be the envy of all your friends. Just go to PoppingCollarsPodcast.com slash T-shirts. That's PoppingCollarsPodcast.com slash the letter T hyphen S-H-I-R-T-S.
0: <laughs> nice. Greg, Greg Knight. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I like being being very specific. And it's T-shirt season, so you're going to need a T-shirt. We we gave you guys a break during the winter, but it's it's coming up on summer. Get a T-shirt. It's time for a T-shirt. And, you know, you kind of just can go to
1: the Pocket Collars site and see the pictures of the T-shirts and click on them. So if you forget the whole address, all right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Finally, you can find our show and lots of other wonderful Episcopal podcasts on EpiscopalCafe.com. We love EpiscopalCafe.com, and we know you will as well. Check them out for all of your Episcopal news, needs, and beyond. And with that super polished and professional outro, this has been Popping Collars. Thank you, Greg. Thank you, Betsy. Thank you, Xu Ying, for coming on the show. We will see you next time, and keep those collars popped.